Hello and welcome to the Playwright Repertory Podcast. We want to give a trigger warning for this episode. This play has mentions of suicide, mental health, and self-harm. If you are feeling something and you need help, please reach out to the National Helpline, which is 1-800-662-4357. Once again, that's one 800 662 Four three five seven. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Playout Repertory Podcast. My name is Mitchell Huntley, and I'm here with my co-host, Sarah Lena Sparks. Hello, everyone. Today we are doing Someone Should Have Told Me by Ashley DiLorenzo, and our playwright of the day, of course, is, drumroll please, <laughs> Ashley DiLorenzo. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. We are so grateful to have you. Uh, Ashley DiLorenzo, tell us, uh, what grade are you in? Are you in high school? Are you in college? Where are you from? I'm a junior in high school, and I'm from New York. Awesome. The theater capital of the world, not Lincoln, Nebraska. Did you know that Lincoln, Nebraska claims to be the theater capital of the world? I, I did not. Well, they do. And it's it's a little weird. Uh, so to get to know Ashley <laughs> a little further, we're going to play everybody's favorite game. Magnet to your computer. computer. Ashley, the way this works is I'm going to put a timer on my phone for two minutes and I will ask you a series of questions and you will have to answer them quickly and for anybody who doesn't know why we call it magnet to your computer it is a ripoff of the game gun to your head which would say like i'm gonna end your life if you don't tell me the that was really violent and i know if you don't tell me the answer (laughs) to this question but for writers our life is our work and you probably write your work on the computer and if you put a magnet on your computer it erases a lot of your data so that is why we do magnet to your computer ashley are you ready yes and that's why i use google drive (laughs) that's good that's good always have it in the cloud all right i am starting the timer and lift off and the clock has started ashley what is your favorite season of the year uh summer you can only put one single thing on your resume what would it be the last show i did i did hairspray and i was tracy If you could travel in any time, anywhere, past or future, where would you go in what time? Ooh, that's a hard one because I took two years of AP history. It's a lot of options here. I would say like the Roaring Twenties, America. Nice. You have all the money in the world to plan a party. What is the theme of your party? Can it be a pool party? Yeah, it can be a pool party. Like, does that count? Is that a theme? Yeah. Is that, like, the theme? Okay, yeah, that's the theme. All right. Uh, Which Disney princess sidekick character are you? Does it have to be the sidekick to the princess or just, like, from a princess movie? It can be from a princess movie. The genie. All right. Favorite play or musical? Play, I'll say proof. Um, 
I yeah, once wrote a and show then... that was almost proof, and I didn't know that it was proof. And favorite musical? I have like a top five, and the first one that comes to mind is Bandstand. Awesome. Nice. Favorite childhood book? Percy Jackson. Solid. Okay. Solid. Uh, you can have tea with one person, dead or alive, for one day. Who is it? Walt Disney. Our final question. Bambi's dad or Hercules? Hercules? Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. <laughs> we just asked that question. because We asked that question to everybody because yeah. I'm really curious about well, it. Because I saw that on the, the Google doc you sent out. I was like, does that mean the game is about Bambi's dad or Hercules? I was very confused. Choose. It's a choose <laughs> it's, your it's, fighter yeah, kind of thing. Choose your fighter. <laughs> Uh, I like I like Hercules better as a movie. So well, Mitchell chose Bambi's dad. I chose dad, Bambi's dad. The thirst trap and of the, the playwright podcast. <laughs> Why not? What did you choose? I also chose Bambi's dad, but not out of looks because strong men scare me. Out of like personality, because <laughs> Hercules is kind of a jerk in the beginning. He does get the best song though. So mm-hmm. he does. And now we will begin the reading of Someone Should Have Told Me by Ashley DiLorenzo. Our cast today, we have Kira Backlion reading for Vera. Hey! Ben Suskin reading for Ross. How's it going? Lauren Dong reading for Val. What's up, guys? Bella Arnold reading for Young Vera. Hi there! And Mitchell Huntley will be reading Stage Directions. Hey, everyone. If you heard some... You don't need to hear his voice. You know it. Okay. If you heard some familiar voices, though, returning friends of the pod are Ben Suskin, Lauren Dong, and, of course, Bella Arnold, who we read her play last episode. So go ahead and check that out. Her play was called We Regret to Inform You, and it was a real good time. So go and check that out when you can. Anyway, let's get back to Someone Should Have Told Me. Mitchell, take it away. Top of show. The dimly lit stage. Valentina is going through some things in the living room of a small apartment. There is a bookshelf filled with old books, photographs, a laptop, some jewelry belonging to Vera, and other trinkets. Valentina picks up a book and inspects it before putting it down, followed by a photograph, framed, followed by a necklace. She is upset. You can tell that she has gotten little sleep. Things I wish someone would have told me. The one who you look at and seem to think nothing of. The one who seems to float immune to it all. She shuts herself behind closed doors so that you will never see the real girl. The girl with with hair that falls in all the wrong places and a mouth that says all the wrong things. She is worth fighting for because her true form is as rare as a heart untouched, but shines as brightly as a million suns. Few will ever get to meet her, and those who have will always see her face in their dreams and in their nightmares. The lights rise fully. Ross enters. He looks even worse than Valentina. He is not expecting to see Valentina. When she notices that he saw her, she abruptly puts the necklace down. Valentina? I didn't know you were coming. It's Val now, actually. Val. Okay, sure. 
I didn't know you were going to be home. Uh, Vera mentioned you had the night shift for most of this month. Uh, well, I'm home now. I can see myself out, Mr. Mitchell. Don't be ridiculous, Val. Stay as long as you need, and call me Ross. Thank you. <laughs> Means a lot. Are you hungry? Actually... Of course you aren't. That was a stupid question. Ross puts his things down and sits at the table, grabbing the laptop and opening it, beginning to work. After a beat, Val sits with him and takes a candy from a dish on the table. So what's with the name change? What? Valentina to Val. Uh, well, I, I didn't change it really, it's just shorter. Of course. But why? It's actually what a lot of people have been calling me for years, so... Sure. Do not approve, Ross. I was just wondering. I always wonder what draws people to make decisions. What about you, then? What? Why go from Mr. Mitchell to Ross? Oh, well, you're here so much, and you're Vera's best friend, whatever I, I like it or not, so. What's that supposed to mean? A sudden knock at the door. Both look immediately to face it, then at each other. Ross opens it, revealing Vera, 17, well-dressed, extremely put together. The two hug. There's my little angel now. Well, I have a bit of work to do. You girls go upstairs. Make sure you're back in an hour for some dinner. Got it, Dad. Vera exits, followed by Val, who shares a final look with Ross. What did he mean by whether I like it or not? Vera and Val enter Vera's bedroom. It is painted a pale yellow. There is a twin bed in the center. The room is littered with snacks, but the interior is very neat. It is as if she recently stopped caring about the appearance of her room. The TV is on. Damn. Jumping on the bed and taking her hair clip out. What? <laughs> what happened to this new year? I'm going to make sure my room is all neat and clean and pretty. I had to cram for midterms. And you know how I get. <laughs> she jumps on the bed as well, finding a full bag of Cheetos and inspecting it. Ooh, this one's full. She opens the bag and begins to eat. After a few bites. Why would you have to cram anyway? Don't you usually study like a week before or something? You said that's what you're going to do. I know. Dad said he really wanted to take me upstate to spend some time with him, with me, and he got so excited, I couldn't say no to him. Well, you probably should have. Valentina! Seriously, Vera, didn't he know about midterms anyway? No. Why not? I didn't tell him. Damn. What? I never thought you'd lie to your dad, and you guys are like- Best friends, yep. Did you think he'd get mad or something? Not really. He's not one to get angry or anything. He just got really upset about me not being able to go with him. So? So what? So why do you care so much? You tell him you can't go. No consequences. Of course there's consequences. I can't hurt him, Valentina. You know that. Sure, but I don't get why. He's just never been the same after mom. I know, but that Two was... years ago. Exactly. Last Saturday. And that's probably why he... Wanted to take me out. Yep. You have to understand now, right? Yeah, I guess I do. Good. Well, how was it? What? The trip. Oh, it was fine, I guess. Pretty fun. You weren't sure? It was fun. We did fun things. I just... I feel like I have to be a different person or for him. He wants everything to be so perfect, 
I can't let him down. He, I don't know, feels like he has to make up for my mom not being here. I don't know if it's for him or for me sometimes. I'm sorry. It'll all be fine, though, soon. Uh, how do you feel about that history midterm? I don't really care. I see. What? It's a new you. It's not too much change or anything. <laughs> Bullshit. Come on, my dad. Bullshit, dude! I'm sorry, but this is a total 180 and you know it. I'm still Vera. I just care a little less. Not when it comes to your dad. Fine. That's true. He's not your responsibility, you know. I know that. I just... Do you? I'm not trying to psychoanalyze or anything. I just... No, I get it. You're a good friend. I know. Seriously. <sighs> You're pretty okay, too. I appreciate that. You know what I appreciate? What? That this new Vera might go to a party with me. Don't push it. Oh, I've been begging you for months. Hi. Um, there's one this weekend. Promise me you'll be there. I promise you. Yes! I promise you I'll think about it. Oh, come on. You worked yourself to the bone last year with your dad breathing down your neck. One party doesn't wreck your, your Ivy League GPA. I promise. One can turn into two, then three, then four. Uh, knowing you, it won't. Was that supposed to be an insult? You know how we'd get if he knew I was partying. He doesn't need to know. So now I have to lie, too? Uh, it's his own fault. He shouldn't be on so on top of you like this. It's not fair. It's fine. No, it's not. You deserve better. Do I? Of course. You- <gasps> You deserve a guy. <gasps> oh, you should hook up with someone. What? No. No, that is the last thing I need. <sighs> But why not? Let loose for me. I already agreed to think about the party. Can't you be happy with that? No. Val points to a picture on the wall. Do you remember the old us? God, the two V's. Yep. <laughs> we thought we were so cool. V. <laughs> and V, the best it will ever, ever, ever be. Ever be. <laughs> After holding out the last note until they run out of air, the two collapse onto the bed in laughter. What were we thinking? thinking? <laughs> a three-syllable ever? She looks at her phone. Then her bright smile turns into a light frown. Apparently it's been an hour and ten minutes. Oh, come on. Can't we just say we didn't notice? I'm not even hungry anymore. He texted me nine times and I have read receipts on. <laughs> Damn. At least he's trying to back off. You call that backing off? Getting off the bed and heading to the door, followed by a reluctant vow. We're lucky he didn't come up here himself, or, God forgive, make us hang out with him. You're right. Screw it. I'll be there. I'll be at the party next week. <laughs> you will not regret this. It's going to be the best night of your life. Val exits before Vera, who watches her go regretfully. She then glances under her bed before exiting. When the two arrive downstairs, they stand in silence for a brief moment as Ross enters with a very hot pan containing dinner. He puts it down and they sit. Excitedly presenting his dish as he puts on plates for the three of them. Tofu stir fry! I'm sorry, what? Vera glances at Val, silently telling her to shut up. 
Tofu Stir Fry. It's my newest creation. Well, I can't take all the credit. I found the recipe online, but I, I did add my own little things into it. This is dinner? Yes. What were you expecting? Protein, beef, chicken, fish, anything. Okay, I'll have you know that tofu has 20 grams of protein per cup. That's a technicality. Vera looks at Val, eyes wide. Apologies, Mr. Mitchell. I'm sure it's delicious. They all eat in silence for a bit. Val looks like she is resisting the urge to puke. Vera has a similar reaction, but hides it better. She looks almost like a professional at this. It's great, Dad. Thank you, Vera. I'm glad someone appreciates it. Val is obviously annoyed and puts her fork down, done pretending to be polite. Vera looks at her, a silent plea, but she does not budge. She then looks to her father, then back at Val, obviously conflicted. The two continue to eat. If you haven't caught on already, Vera and I have become a new vegan lifestyle. You had a hamburger yesterday with, with me for lunch. That was a veggie burger, remember? Oh, uh, yeah. More awkward silence. We only hear the sounds of Vera and Ross's forks. Val pushes food around on her plate. So, ladies, how's school? Well, amazing, Dad, passing all my classes. Val is confused and possibly annoyed at Vera. It's polite that you're being modest around your friends. Val rolls her eyes. Okay, straight A's. Even in trigonometry? Oh, I was terrible in trigonometry. Well, it looks like we have something in common for to change. Trig sucks. Really, Valentina? Well, it's all about applying yourself. So, I don't apply myself? Well, I, I didn't say that exactly. Oh, really? Because I'm pretty sure that's what you said. Young lady, you're a guest in my house. I'm going to put away the I'm dishes. Gonna... Who's done? Ross and Vera shut up, surprised at her sudden, sudden outburst, but each shoving their plates away. Vera exits with them. Val sticks her middle finger at Ross under the table so only the audience is aware. Re-entering and sitting down. How's work, Dad? Oh, you know, work. I'm so close to that promotion I can taste it. I hope it doesn't taste like you're cooking. You know, you're free to leave. And you're free not to have a stick up your ass, but here we are. You heard me. You treat your teenage daughter like she's, she's five years old. It's not her fault you can't let go. This family's none of your business. I suggest you leave. No, I, I'm staying here for your daughter because obviously you can't take care of her. There's a happy kid. Have you met her? She's perfect. She's a wreck. You're just too blind to notice. Please stop. Val- Valentina is lying, right? Everything is... Right? Absolutely fine. See? She hesitated. Um, actually, I, I think I need to go, um, to the... Outside? Yes. Outside? Yeah, that. Outside. To take a walk. Just just a second. I'll be back in a second. Vera gets up and walks out the door. If this is what fine looks like to you, you are seriously messed up. Val runs after Vera, exiting through the door without closing it. She becomes outside of audience view, where we hear a blaring car horn followed by a scream. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, Mr. Mitchell? Mr. Mitchell! We see Ross begin to rush out the door before a blackout. Part 2. Lights up. Valentina, 17, is going through some things in the living room of a two-floor apartment. There is a bookshelf filled with old books, 
photographs, a laptop, some jewelry belonging to Vera, and other trinkets. Valentina picks up a book and inspects it before pulling it down, followed by a photograph, framed, followed by a necklace. She is upset. You can tell that she has gotten little sleep. Ross enters. He is a man in his late 40s who looks even worse than Valentina. He is not expecting to see Valentina. When she notices that he saw her, she abruptly puts the necklace down. Valentina? I didn't know you were coming. It's Val now, actually. Val. Okay, sure. I didn't know you were going to be home. Vera mentioned you had the night shift for most of this month. Well, um, I'm home now. Well, I can see myself out, Mr. Mitchell. Don't be ridiculous, Val. You're practically a part of the family. And, uh, call me Ross. Thank you. It means a lot. Are you hungry? Uh, actually- uh, Of course you are, and that was a stupid question. Ross puts his things down and sits at the table, grabbing the laptop and opening it, beginning to work. After a beat, Val sits with him and takes a candy from a dish on the table. So what's with the name change? What? Valentina to Val. Uh, well, I, I didn't change it really, it's just shorter. Of course. But, but why? It's easier this way, I guess. It, it sounds cool. Sure. Do you not approve, Mr. Ross? <laughs> I, I was just wondering. I always wonder what draws people to make decisions. What about you, then? What? Why go from Mr. Mitchell to Ross? <laughs> oh, uh, well, you know, you're here so much, and you're Vera's best friend, whether I like it or not. What's that supposed to mean? I'm waiting. You're a bad influence. Seriously? You're a party girl. You're impulsive. Impulsive? You don't think about the consequences. <laughs> this isn't going to work. You're not going to blame this on me. I just wanted to say that- It's not my fault. She's dead. They both try and cool down. Val. Don't expect an apology. If I could have stopped her, I would have. Why didn't you? Ask yourself the same question. We were both in this house. We both loved her. Why didn't either of us do anything to stop her from running out the door? How are we supposed to know? I get it. You're grieving. But if you try to blame all of this on me, you're kidding yourself, and I'm not standing for it. She gathers her things. I'm not going away. I will I will be here for every memorial, but I guess this is still your house, and and I know when I'm not wanted. Val goes to exit and touches the door handle. Wait. There's a few things upstairs she might have wanted you to have. I'd rather you get them than have it go to storage or recycling, God forbid. Oh, uh, yeah, that would be great. He exits upstairs. Ross exits to upstairs while Val stands and walks around. They each pick up a box labeled Vera at the same time and move it stage right. Ross to her bed, Val to the dining room table. They take out items, examine them, and put them on the table, perfectly in sync. When Ross produces a ballet slipper and Val produces a pair of headphones, Vera enters in a green dress and ballet shoes. She begins to dance to classical, entering from her own room upstairs, but adjusts to hip-hop as she makes her way to Val, before regretfully transitioning to classical and exiting through the front door. Ross goes downstairs with his things. This is all I have for the moment. Val examines the things placed on the table in front of her. And I have this. They exchange boxes and each start to sift through everything before... Don't you think this is... At least a, a, a little bit twisted. What? This. We're trading a dead girl's things. 
That dead girl was my daughter. She was my best friend. You didn't raise her. You didn't know her. I'm sorry. That was out of, out of line. I. Do you actually believe that? Fully? It's not entirely untrue. She was a wreck. I think you kind of tried to train yourself into thinking that if you did everything perfectly, everything would be perfect. Did anyone ever tell you not to psychoanalyze people? <laughs> Your daughter thought the same thing. She was just too polite to say it. That's my girl. Yeah, I guess it was. Do you think she knew what she was doing? God, don't ask me that question. You've thought about it. I haven't slept in four days. I've replayed that night about 300 times. What a coincidence. So have I. They lock eyes. She was messed up, Ross. Is that your answer? Uh, no, I, I, I mean, she was definitely being a different person over the past few weeks. I, I don't think I cared because I thought she was changing for the better. <laughs> they tell us in class, she had all the signs. I should have reported it said something. They taught you the signs? Yeah, once a semester in health class, we do these seminars. I, I always overlooked them. They were so fucking cheesy. Ross looks at her, awaiting more. They were like, if you see someone sitting alone in class, sit with them. If you see someone questioning their self-worth, reassure them. I, I just I just thought it was so fake. I, I always thought, if this were actually happening, I wouldn't need a, a how-to guide written by some idiot with a PhD to figure it out. I understand. You do? There's no textbook way to die. On the other hand, the guy behind the wheel was drunk. Uh, how, how do we know she just wasn't trying to cross the street, right? Just an accident. A, a terrible, terrible accident. She had such a future ahead of her. Which is why she wouldn't give that up, right? Possibly. Any news on him? The driver? Well, there are no cameras on the street, and it was an empty road. They have no reason to believe it was suicide. <sighs> they didn't know her. Exactly. So... Vehicular manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, second-degree murder. Ross raises an eyebrow at her. I watch a lot of crime shows. Impressive. Maybe not as valuable as trigonometry, but at least it's actually entertaining. Uh, speaking of which, how's school? Do the teachers even care at this point? I mean, you were her best friend, surely they- Yeah, actually, everyone's been getting a free pass lately. It's, it's insane. People she barely said two words to her whole life are sobbing at the tragedy. Oh. I, I can't tell if they actually care or if it's some sort of an attention grab. Well, uh, to some extent, I, I think they have the right. The right to what? To grieve. Do I have that right? Oh. Do I have the right to grieve when when this can all be my fault? Murderers don't cry. No, Val, please don't think like... She's not listening. She is gathering her things and is two steps away from the door. Have a good day, Ross. As she opens the door, Ross puts his hand on her shoulder. They lock eyes and after a beat, Val runs up to Vera's room. Ross makes his way to the kitchen and begins to make two hot chocolates and marshmallows. Val is seen upstairs crying. Ross takes the two drinks upstairs, but Val speaks as soon as she hears his footsteps nearing the bedroom door. I don't want to talk to you right now, please. I have hot chocolate. Fine. But don't think I need to talk to you right now. Nope. You can just sit here till you're ready. They sit together for a long beat, each taking sips of their hot chocolate and looking out into the fourth wall. Ross points to a spot on the fourth wall and looks at Val. That was from her first trip to Disney World. The woman, that's her. Mom. Yes. She looks like her. You never met her? Once or twice, probably, but but she was always out. On business? Yeah, that's what she always said. Oh. That makes sense, actually. What? There was another guy. There was another family. 
Jesus. She didn't really leave us until... Two years ago. Yeah. So Vera... I picked up a little about... She didn't really like talking about it. But it makes sense how she... What? Never mind. Did she come for the funeral? Her mom. I wasn't really paying too much attention to. She came, but she didn't really say any more than she had to. Makes sense. She hates me. Well, um, she already did, obviously, but now she does even more. She thinks it's my fault. I, I, I mean, she already moved to another state. Where else can she go? Another country? Does it matter? I, I guess it used to, but now, well, I'm alone and she has nothing here. You have a home anytime you need it. Please know that, after all I put you through. <laughs> it's not your fault. You deserve something, okay? You gave me her stuff. I, I don't know. Emotional compensation. I don't need to be compensated for a friendship. The best friendship I'll probably ever have. She she made me a better person. I don't know if I'll ever find that again. You will. Vera was one of a kind, that's undeniable, but you'll find that quality in other people you grow close to. What if I can't find them? You will. How do you know that? What do you believe in? She stops in her tracks, takes a breath, and looks at Ross. God. I wasn't expecting that from you. Well, aren't I just full of surprises? Tell me about your family. What? What are they like? Well, it's me, my parents, my older brother, and younger sister. Sounds nice. Yeah, a lot different from what you have here. That's for sure. Uh, I'd like to try it one time, though. A full house. Well, if you ever want to come over to my house and maybe have dinner, that would be okay. No, I, I wouldn't want to intrude with your parents and everything. Uh, they both work late on Tuesdays, so my brother pretty much takes care of us. We order Chinese food most of the time. And you guys are okay? Yeah, it's nice. And then sometimes after, we buy a movie and my brother and I make a crazy amount of popcorn. Just the two of you? And my younger sister. That's sweet. <laughs> yeah, those are the good nights. Thursdays, you said? Tuesdays. I know it's not vegan or whatever, Oh, but... dear God, no, I, I hated that. <laughs> then why did you do it? I wanted us to be perfect. It was the latest trend and all. Hmm. I didn't, I didn't want her to have anything to be upset about. Well, that... What? I was gonna say that didn't work. Yes. It didn't. I don't think anything would've. Explain. There's just so much you can do. So much you can't. But... It's not like this was destined, was it? Uh, it had to have been a chain of events. And we can control events. Exactly. My mom lost her sister when she was my age. Your aunt? Uh, she always told me to keep my friends close and treat them with kindness and listen to them. And you did that. You did that so well. How? Then she'd still be alive. I think maybe I tried to change her too much. You weren't the only reason she walked out of that door, Val. How do you- I was putting too much pressure on her. I, I, I had good intentions, but- So did she. What? She told me. She she told me that she wanted to take care of you after her mom. See? See, then it, it's not your fault. This was never your fault, Val. Thank you. I'll go wash these. She gives a light smile to Ross before taking his empty mug, as well as her own, and bringing it back downstairs to the sink. Ross watches her go and is about to follow her, before putting his weight back on the bed and letting her go. Val begins to wash the two cups. The phone rings and Ross goes downstairs. The phone's ringing! Ross makes his way to the dining room table on his way to pick up the phone. The ring is overpowered by serene sounds of ocean waves and conch shells. The stage is washed in a blue light and a beach is projected onto the set. 
While Ross takes in the space, Val sees nothing. After a beat, a younger Vera, aged 7 to 9, enters with a seashell. Throughout this interaction, Val fishes the cup and makes her way to sit at the dining room table, noticing Ross's disconnect. Dad! Dad, look what I got! That is amazing, sweetie. Did you see my sandcastle? I, I did. It is a masterpiece. I mean, it's not my best work. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> you should become an architect. What's that? Like, a designer? Yeah, uh, for houses and buildings. Cool. You are so smart. I know. Ross raises an eyebrow, for Vera erupts into a fit of uncontrollable laughter. Kidding. Ross picks up Vera and puts, him, puts her on his shoulders. Wow. Cool, right? You can see the whole ocean from up here. Where does it end? I don't know, aren't you supposed to be the smart one? I found Mom. Where? Over there, right next to our bag, and the beach chairs, and the snacks, and, oh man! What? The waves just crushed my sandcastle. Well, do you know what that means, little architect? That my life's work has been destroyed. Nope. He takes her off his shoulders and places her standing on the table. That means that we need to build another one. Together. Woo! I take it you're excited. You bet. Well then, so am I. How big is this one gonna be? I don't know. It has to be three bedrooms, one for you and mom, one for me, and one for my friends, if they want to come. Oh, and one for grandma and grandpa, if they come. And a kitchen. So I can cook all the mac and cheese I want. No way. Why not? Because you are not going to use the stove in the sandcastle without an adult. Dad. I will be your chef and make the little princess all the mac and cheese she could ever want. You have to wear a chef's hat. Deal. And since it's my sandcastle, I actually kind of want to be a princess mermaid. Cool? The coolest. I think I should probably go start working now. Good idea, princess mermaid. (laughs) Come on! She gestures for Ross to put her down, which he does. Go straight to mom, okay? You're not coming with me? In a second. Dad's gotta call someone from work. But it's the weekend. Hey, you're going to work now too, you little sandcastle architect. You're right. Thanks. I'm gonna go fill up all the water buckets. She runs off stage quickly, smiling. Be careful. As the lights begin to restore, Ross is standing in the same position as when Vera entered. The sea sounds are replaced by the original phone ringing. Who is it? What? You've been staring at that phone this whole time. They're gonna- The phone stops ringing. Hang up. Ross, what was that? Oh, nothing. Uh, just lost in thought. I can tell when you're lying. I've said the same thing a lot these past few days. Ross, tell me what's wrong, please. Ross sits at the dining room table and speaks to Val. I think it was January. The other had gotten a lot colder. Maggie, uh, she was out on another business trip. I, w- I was used to it when we got married. It was always known that she had to travel for work. I, did- I didn't love the situation, but I had become sort of accustomed to it. Yes, yes, it it was January, definitely January, because we had just got back from school and Vera, uh, she was wearing her big puffy jacket and and I got a phone call, you you know, on the home phone, which was strange enough, and it was an unknown number. California area code, and I answered and I said, hello, as you would, but the, the man on the other line just kept yelling and yelling, and I, I, I couldn't make out what he was saying, but I, but I heard a woman crying in the background. 
once he slowed down, he asked me. He said, "Are you Miss jo Mrs. Joseph's husband?" And I, and I said, "Yes." But that that was her maiden name. And I asked why. And he told me. Vera, teen, enters on the opposite side of the stage, only visible to Val. Vera is startled and looks between the two. My first semester of high school is over. I really thought that I'd made it. Sure, I was stressed out of my mind, but I was doing well. It wasn't anything different. I had a lot of friends back then, which was nice. You too, I was texting you when Dad got his phone call. He told me everything. Six years. Two kids. He, he asked me to divorce her. He wanted to marry her instead, but he didn't believe in polygamy or anything. She convinced him that we had already separated and that the divorce was just a formality. I told him my side, but he, he didn't believe me. We filed the paperwork the night she got home. I didn't know what was going on until I came down for dinner, and he... he was crying. I'd never seen him, seen him cry before. I felt awful. I felt like I was late, like I could have done something if I was downstairs when the phone rang. He was just so lost. Yeah, I was sad that I wouldn't really have a mom anymore, but it never really sunk in. She wasn't really around much anyways. I just immediately knew that I had to help my father. So that's what I did for the rest of my life. I think betrayed is the right word. Maybe confused, too. Even self-conscious. Why was I not good enough? What could I have done? Why did she feel the need to wander away? Bira's gone. I'm sorry, that was a lot to unload on you, wasn't it? Uh, of course not. Uh, that's horrible. Was that who called? It, it wouldn't be. Uh, damn. Who was it? A, a co-worker. Who is she? Uh, how to do... A friend. A friend? This is completely none of your business. I thought I was part of your family. That doesn't mean you need to know everything about my personal life. Where'd you meet her? Work. <laughs> wow, you didn't even have to try. <laughs> I didn't even want to meet anyone. She just kind of showed up a few months ago. <gasps> Sounds like a rom-com. But, but I, I keep postponing. Uh, she was supposed to come over for dinner two weeks ago. At least she keeps trying to call you. Yeah, but... What if one day she stops trying? She hasn't yet. Why is it so easy for you to answer these questions? I'm a teenage girl. Touché. <laughs> then again, I don't know why you're taking dating advice from a 17-year-old. <laughs> okay, you're right. So it is a date. I'm happy for you. <laughs> Dude, I'm serious. Thank you. Oh, I think I might have left my phone upstairs. Can I call it? Ross hands her the house phone. Val walks into Vera's room and sits on the bed for just a moment, reminiscing. She uses the phone to dial her number and hears a ringing from under the bed. She ducks under the bed to grab it, though she is distracted by another item there instead. Vera stands up, producing a small knife with dried bloodstains. She is shaking. No, 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 no. Vera enters from the window, and Val looks at her in surprise, yet also in terror. You didn't do this. You, you never- Shh, you can't tell him. What? My dad. I'm so sorry, but please, I can't keep hurting him. But- You have to. Val looks at the knife, then back at the girl in front of her, unable to believe that the two had a connection. Well, she can believe it. Her mind just doesn't want her to. She wants to reject the knife in front of her. You're- you're not real. That is. Please. Val thinks, then shakes her head yes a few times before watching Vera walk out the window. Wait! Vera is gone. Val screams. 
Ross begins to make his way up the stairs, but Vera's already heard him and, in a panic, puts the knife blade down in her back pocket. She runs downstairs and bumps into Ross. Are you alright? Uh, fine. Why? You screamed. I'm in a hard place right now, and and, and being here, it's worse, okay? It's much worse. I I think I need to go home. Are you sure? Positive. It's just not... I just... She... I understand, but... I'm sorry. Please, I, I don't want you going out like that. Like what? You're shaking. Please. I'm fine. Please, I I, I need to go. At, at least take your things. Or... If you're not okay, I, I can drop it off. I, I can drive you home. Uh, n- no, but... Thank you so much. Getting her box. You're always welcome here, Valentina. You were a good dad, Mr. Mitchell. Still are. Thank you. There has to be life after this, right? There just has to be. I... I... Mr. Mitchell? Yeah? Never mind, I... She runs out the door. It slams shut. After a beat, Vera walks in from where Val left. She leaves the door open. Ross picks up his cell phone and dials, before becoming distracted by the box of things Val left for him. We hear the phone begin to ring from where he left it on a chair, and Ross is already absorbed in the items. Vera reaches the box and looks through it as well. The two reach for the same item simultaneously, touching hands, and they lock eyes. We hear that a woman has answered the phone, but Ross is ignoring her. The lighting goes to a complete blackout, and when the lights restore, Ross is in the exact same position, but Vera is gone. Ross screams in agony. The phone voice becomes pained. Ross collapses. Val crosses in from stage right, writing in a notebook. Ross is still seen breaking down. Things I wish someone would have told me. The one who you look at and seem to think nothing of. The one who seems to float, immune to it all. She shuts herself behind closed doors so that you will never see the real girl. The girl with hair that falls in all the wrong places and a mouth that says all the wrong things. She is worth fighting for because her true form is as rare as a heart untouched, but shines as brightly as a million suns. Few will ever get to meet her. And those who have will always see her face in their dreams and in their nightmares. Val collapses into a position mirroring Ross's. They do not see each other. Blackout. End of play. Thank you. That was the reading of Someone Should Have Told Me by Ashley DiLorenzo. We thank all of our actors again for joining us today. Uh, They will leave us for the feedback portion, but they will be filling out their own feedback forms that will be given back to the writer. So the writer can use that as uh, help for herself. Thank you, actors. And that concludes our reading of Someone Should Have Told Me by Ashley DiLorenzo. Now we're going to have a little feedback and interview session with her. Now we're going to give you a little our feedback, what we think nailed it, hit really well, what maybe we had some questions about. Mitchell, you first. Yeah. First thing I noticed was how well you handled the uh, dissemination of um, of like the uh, character's exposition. Really, you handled it really well. It very much was a nice trickle of information where it wasn't a lot of times people use like exposition dumps where they just give everything out there. But you handled it really well and you made it so we can get piece by piece until finally we get we find the full story. 
that was a really it paid off really well. Yeah, I agree with Mitchell. And I think like good ways of kind of giving that exposition is when you know a lot about the characters, but you don't totally remember how you know a lot about the characters. You just do. And I definitely think that I feel that after hearing the reading of this play. Another thing that I really liked is I think that you just really have Ross really flushed out as a person. And I think it comes off really well. He seems like a very three-dimensional character and he has a really clear story arc as well, which I really appreciate as the audience. Yeah, I like really liked how well uh, Ross was fleshed out. And I think we learn a bit about Valentina in the end. I think a little more, I think a more of that would be really, I think really interesting to the audience because I think we very much focus on Ross and Vera, but I feel like the effects, the effects and like what it did to Val is also something that be very valid to look at, I think. I'd say the one moment for me where I was taken out a little bit is when Vera comes and he's talking about when he gets the phone call and she's having more of that direct kind of monologue. Um, For me, that took me a little bit out of the world in which I didn't really understand her kind of like entrance into there. But yeah, that was just me. But possibly having like Vera and Val and Ross having this like three-way conversation where it's Val talking to past Vera maybe and Ross talking to her. Yeah, for me, that little part of her just that monologue just felt really out of place for me. Yeah, and I think I actually had that was a similar note I had with Sarah. I think that that's a good solution to not to be prescriptive, but that's a really good solution, I think, because they're both dealing with memory, past memories. I think that that fits diegetically into like the show. Anything else? Uh, yes, me trying to be theatrical. <laughs> <laughs> you did really well. I think you had really good the like the um like the whole beach scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way it did feel very theatery. The way Vera that. comes in and out of the window mm-hmm. uh, was very. I think it was very interesting. Very good, like playing around with like the fact that you, the medium of the stage was really good and very well done. Very you made it very easy for a designer to to see like what the set should be, what the lighting should be. You made it really easy for them, which is very good. And we love the like fourth wall direct address. I don't know. I love when anybody does that in a show, when they get to look an audience person in the eye. Personally, that was like, ooh. Uh, Anything else, Mitchell? I'm good. Covered a lot. Yeah. Great job. I think you did a really good job. Oh, I forgot to talk about one of the first things that I was like, oh, I love the repetition from the beginning. Um just to like see how that's changed. I think that was really, really well done because you do go from that drastic moment of her in the car and just the little subtle changes in the dialogue. I think that's really impressive and it's really good when it's done really well. I tried to do that in one of my plays and then I submitted it to a competition and they thought that I had copied and pasted a scene twice. So... Well, that's how I started it if it makes you feel better. I was yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They did not uh, see the subtle changes, so maybe they're too subtle. But yeah, I really liked that part of the play. And I think that was like a really nice style. And I think that's very playwrighty. That's going to be a word that I use on the show a lot. Just like playwrighty, you know? Yeah, the first time I had this read out loud, I got some weird looks when we got to that. Because I had sent them the document. The document was like filled with typos. It was, it was rough. And they, they all sort of looked at each other like, 
did we did we did we start start over because like the stage directions are the same too so they're like did we did we start over and then i was like no keep going this is right that's awesome okay so that was like our feedback take it as you will it's just always nice when you're writing something to get an outside opinion and that's really what this whole format's for Okay, and then next we're going to move to our interview with the playwright. And this is more in an in-depth interview about your play and what inspired you. So first question is, what did inspire you to write this piece? My drama teacher, who also taught playwriting and who I sort of wrote a play in his class. We all, we collectively wrote a play and he's, he knew about my work and a bunch of our, a bunch of my classmates knew about our work. So he knew nominated all of us to apply for a program called TDF Young Playwrights. And they're super, super cool. I don't know. Obviously, I was nominated for it, so I don't know how applying for it goes. But if anyone listening to this lives in the New York City area, definitely look them up because they're really awesome. They used to be called Ward Lab, if that rings a bell at all. The first few weeks, we just wrote scenes. Like, they gave us prompts and we write a scene or we would write... I think there were a few times we did poetry or monologues, but we just sort of wrote a bunch of random... Not random stuff, but like individual stuff. And we got to sort of the end of what my school's first semester is. So that's about December. And uh, they said, okay, so now is about the time where you might want to look at writing a full piece. I realized that when I write things, I sort of, I write a lot based on what I like to read. So at the time that I was writing this, and I sort of realized that after I wrote two full scenes out, that I had a mix between... uh, the other place next to normal and proof. And I was like, you know what? I can work with, oh, and Night Mother. And I was like, you know what? I can work with this. Um, <laughs> I also, you know, like not to get too personal with it because um, at the end of the sort of workshop where I had began writing this piece, we had a reading with uh, professional actors and we did a scene and I wound up having the dinner scene and my mom was there and she was like, are you okay? You know, the things that a mother would say when their daughter writes a play about suicide. We love when our parents comment on the darkness <laughs> of our plays and just being like, is everything okay? Just yeah. Sure I mean, okay. I don't want to say it's about suicide because it's not, but you know, basically it was the big protective mother coming in and I was like, mom, this isn't about me. And the truth is that it's not. I have a lot of friends that have gone through some really difficult things in their lives. And at the time that I wrote this, I was worried for them. It's like, I'm not saying this is one person. This is actually, you know, multiple people in my life that I've been afraid that this would happen. So I guess the way I deal with being scared is by putting a bunch of things on paper and disassociating it from myself. So that's what I did. That's pretty much the whole thing. So what do you want audiences to take away from this play? Um, This is actually one of the things I struggled with while writing it. I slipped before and I was joking around. I said, this is a play about suicide, but it's not. The biggest thing that I'm focusing on and grieving process, that's something I want people to take away how it's different for everyone. You know, I, I threw in that throwaway about after a tragedy happens, however, which sort of jumps on the bandwagon. It's not really something that I'm big focusing on, but it's there. I think it's the grieving process and how a lot of the times older people or parents or authority figures and people who care for 
either their children or their grandchildren or anyone that sort of has a child and raises a child and takes ownership of them, they can be trying so hard to do the right thing and just missing it. I feel like anyone can be trying so hard to do the right thing and then miss it and it's not their fault. Yeah, and I think that definitely came across. I think I took it as a story of, you know, how do you grieve and, you know, that pattern of when somebody passes away, you know, how people react to it and thinking all of the what ifs, you know, shoulda, woulda, couldas. So I definitely, I took that away from this play. And now we're going to move on we're going to shift gears a to game. A, a game, a cheesy NPR game that Mitchell yeah, made up. A cheesy game. Yeah, I'm allowed one per. I don't know if you've seen the perceptive. I'm allowed one in my contract. So, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I, um, yeah. So, the the way I connect this to the play Mitchell is comes um, up with like the weirdest ways to like bring in themes to the show. Okay, Mitchell yeah. talk talk about it. One of the things that I noticed was with Ross, he um. Uh, after the divorce, he sort of became tried to become a more active presence in Vera's life. Sort of, we call a helicopter parent. And the non sequitur, if you're catching on, is that we're going to have a game about helicopters. And so I have <laughs> questions. The game of the game. The game of the game. The game of the game. Right over there? The game of the game. We're going to have to do game some of the here. game. <laughs> so this game is called Helichopped, as in helicopter and shot. So the aim of the game is that we will give you a question about, I will give you a question about a random fact about helicopters. And you're going to have to get, try to guess which answer is correct. Like if I said the word helicopter starts with A and you'd say H, that would be correct. I am so nice. smart. They're going you know to be a tad helicopter. harder than that. But <laughs> Oh man. I was hoping you okay. were just going to stick with the spelling questions. I know. I would um, fail those too. That's what audio, really that's what auto correct is for though. So yeah. Okay. Question one. The first advancement towards vertical flight, a design for a, quote, aerial screw, was made in the 1480s by this Italian polymath. Is it A, Nicholas Copernicus, B, Leonardo da Vinci, C, Antonio de Nebrija, or D, Galileo Galilei? All right. So I don't think it's, I know, well, I know it's not Copernicus because that was the guy that said the sun is the center of the universe. Thank you, AP World History. Um, oh, I don't think it's... I'm going to go with the Antonio person. And I feel like I should know this because I'm Italian, but... It is, in fact, B, Leonardo da Vinci. You want to know yeah. how I know that? You want to know how I know that? You have to say, say yes. Topica? No. <laughs> I, I know that topica. because of... Have you guys ever seen the movie Mr. Peabody in Sherman? Yes! He, like, flies in the beginning with Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, damn, he does. Because Mr. Peabody's like, come on, Sherman, we're going to go visit my friend Leonardo da Vinci. Oh my God, that's, like, a huge plot point, too, isn't it? Yeah. I used to love that movie. <laughs> Y'all don't know your Mr. Peabody and damn. Sherman it's not even fans. that I'm. It's not even that I'm upset that this is an Italian person. I didn't know. It's because they were in Peabody and Sherman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, question two. The first use of the term helicopter came in 1911 when Slovenian philosopher and economist Ivan Slokar patented a helicopter configuration. Is it true or false? I'm learning a lot today. Uh, I'm just going to go with true because I have no clue and I'm going to save time. (laughs) 
It is false. Is it, well, like 1910? 1861. Oh, damn. The word helicopter was coined by Gustave de Ponton d'Amécourt. I'm working on my French. Uh, a oui. French inventor who demonstrated a small steam-powered model. So it's from Good 1861. Him. Good for yeah. him. Good for them. Get it. Although the the patent was true. That was true. Um, all right. Question three. The highest a helicopter has flown at level flight is 36,120 feet, a world record set by American James K. Church in 1971. True or false? Well, it could be like 200 and... Two and I, you're I would lying. not do that. That would okay. be so hard. That would be so okay. Bad. You would do that, Mitchell. You would so do that. But I didn't do it this time. You did not do it this time. But then, you were capable. Not. Then I'm gonna say true because the last one was false, and that's a terrible strategy. Woohoo! Test. Well, then you'd be correct because that Sometimes is correct. Those test strategies. <laughs> For reference, Mount Everest is twenty nine thousand twenty nine feet. Yeah. So this is higher than Mount Everest. Good for them. I thought that was interesting. You're higher All right. than Mount Everest. Now, the final question. Which of the following is not a nickname for this vehicle listed on Wikipedia? <laughs> is it A, Hilo, B, Copter, C, Helichopper, or D, Whirlybird? It's a Whirlybird. That's no, I actually, I think Whirlybird is true. And I think Helichopper is true. So it was, I think it's Hilo. That is incorrect. Is it Copter? The real answer is Helichopper. I made that up. Oh wow! Hilo is actually used by the by the military, U.S. military. Wow, oh, that's cool. Because I thought I knew Chopper was real, so I assumed Helichopper was real. This is what Mitchell thinks is like a really fun game. I love how that was the first one I ruled out too. Damn, you're great at this. That concludes our time with Ashley DeLorenzo. We thank you so much for coming on to the pod. We've had such a great time with you. Thank you so much, Ashley. (laughs) You are welcome on the podcast whenever you want. Thank you once again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Playwright Repertory Podcast. If you're a playwright or have a play, those are the same thing, then you should totally submit. Uh, our link to submit is tinyurl.com slash prpsubmit. That is, again, tinyurl.com slash prpsubmit. We love to read your play, and we can't wait to read it. You can also find us on Instagram at Play Rep Podcast. Once again, that's Play Rep Podcast on Instagram. And you can find us on SoundCloud to listen to our past two episodes at Playwright Repertory Podcast. We did an episode with Bella Arnold, who voiced one of the characters in this reading. And then we had another episode, a mini episode with just the two of us. So find us on Instagram, listen to our past episodes on SoundCloud. Thank you so much for listening. Sarah, any final thoughts? Feeling dry? Use lotion. This podcast is sponsored by lotion. 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 Disclaimer, this show has not been sponsored by any lotion or company called lotion. I just wanted Mitchell to sing a little song. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week.